0: Good morning, everybody. I've always wanted to say that Alan always starts it off like that. You know, I wanted to say the good morning, everybody. I thought about telling you guys my name was Alan, but I didn't want to fool you that much. So, (laughs) good morning. Uh, My name is David, and I'm the student pastor here at Mountain Park. I'm incredibly excited to be sharing with you guys this morning. Now. This morning is our first summer morning where we are not meeting at our eight o'clock service, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm an eight o'clocker, all right? So do we have any other eight o'clockers in the room? All right. Now, 9.30 people, I know you're not ready for this, but the eight o'clockers, we're a little crazy, all right? We're a little nuts, all right? And so um, that's where the real party is, but this morning the party's gonna be here at the 9.30 because we have the 8 o'clockers. And so, the, um, it's my privilege this morning to be starting off and kicking off a new series with you all. And the last month, we've been going through a lot of different things. We, after Easter, we took two weeks and we went through the Go series. We talked about how we're called to go and make a difference, not just in our local communities, but around the world. And then, on Mother's Day we had the privilege of having an amazing service with a children's choir. Did you guys enjoy our Mother's Day service with all the kids and I don't even have a kid that was singing in it? And I'm like crying. I'm like, this is so moving. Um, And then last week we celebrated as a church with Promotion Sunday and our students joined us and led us in worship and we had an incredible time together last Sunday. But this Sunday we are officially starting the Church of Tomorrow and this is a summer-long series where we as an entire church are going to be diving into two books of the Bible, 1st and 2nd Timothy. Now what I mean by the entire church is I, I quite literally mean all the way from three-year-olds to the oldest attenders here at Mountain Park, we are all going to be journeying through the exact same scriptures, through the exact same discussions together. And that gets me really excited. I don't know about you guys. And uh, it's an incredible value. And the really neat thing is that First and Second Timothy give us a model for what church is supposed to look like. 1 and 2 Timothy, written by Paul to a young protege leader named Timothy, gives us this model of what should we follow as the church, and what does that look like to be the church. Now, where we look like this, where we as Mountain Park, when we're reading through 1 and 2 Timothy, where we look like this, we get to celebrate. We get to say, hey, we're hitting the mark. We're achieving and we're doing the things that God has called us to, as a body of believers. But the places where we're not, the places where we're reading and we receive conviction, the places where we as a church are going through these passages and we're like, I don't think we're quite there yet. You guys get to write some really strongly worded emails to Alan. It's going to be amazing, right? <laughs> oh, no, don't do that. Please, don't do that. But we, we do get to set a marker for what are the things that we should be striving after. And in the places where we're not measuring up to the model that God has set before us, how do we begin to set markers to strive after what God would have for us? Now, before I dive into kind of our main idea this morning and kind of setting the bedrock for this morning, I'm going to ask you to pray with me real fast. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity just to come before this body of believers and Lord, to, to present your word and to dig into your word together. And Lord, may you speak to everyone here in our hearts and our minds. Lord, we pray this this morning. Amen. Now this morning as we kick off the series, I want to tell you a little bit about First and Second Timothy, the purposing of First and Second Timothy. You see, 1 and 2 Timothy were written later in Paul's life. In fact, Paul had, by this time in his ministry, his third missionary journey, he was actually in Rome at this point. He was not yet uh, captive where he would face his martyr, uh, martyrism, but he was heading that direction. And so he was in Rome doing ministry, and at this time he got word that the church in Ephesus was facing some challenges, some challenges on false teaching, some challenges on going astray. And you have to realize that the church in Ephesus was one of Paul's favorites, if not his most favorite church. He loved Ephesus. And Ephesus was kind of in the center of everything, right? It was was a, a large trade city where all the roads met in Ephesus and there was a lot of influence, there was a lot of money, And economics in Ephesus were good, but with that, there were a lot of influences from all around the area, from all around the world. And so they were prone to false teaching from all of these other faiths and backgrounds and gods that influenced the church in Ephesus. And so Paul, because he cared so much as for Ephesus and because he saw Ephesus not just as a center point for the area economically, but as a center point for his network of churches and the influence that he had created amongst his ministry— sent Timothy, a young leader, who took hold of the church of Ephesus and began leading probably around the age of 30, and began to lead the church, actually for the rest of his life until he faced his own death later in the century. Now, that's just a little background around Ephesus, but this morning, to understand the model that is given to us in the books of First and Second Timothy, we have to understand the relationship of Paul, the writer, to Timothy, the reader. We have to understand what's going on amongst this relationship. Why is this relationship so important? And what we're going to discover this morning as we dig into things is that the churches of tomorrow build up young leaders today. That churches that exist into tomorrows and thrive in tomorrows build up young leaders today. Now, I'm curious, for those of who are in the room, that uh, I'm curious on how many of you guys are Disney fans? Do we have any Disney fans in the room? Okay, Disney, specifically Disney theme parks. Anyone enjoy going to Disney theme parks? All right. All right, we got a few. Uh, We have to take a poll this morning. This is very important. In all the Disney theme parks around the world, what is the best Disney theme park in the world, I've got to know, and I know some of us are familiar with the Disney World theme parks, and Disneyland, and California Adventures, all of that. I need to know your guys' favorite, okay? So on three, you're gonna tell me what's your favorite Disney theme park. Okay, ready, three, two, one. <laughs> I heard in Florida, so there's a little bit there, okay. Uh, I, I think it's gotta be a toss up, and I think I heard a majority, although Magic Kingdom is magical and it's amazing, I think I heard a, a dividing win on Disneyland, right? Disneyland's the uh, original, the best. Uh, you know, I enjoy Disneyland, it's close drive, I like staying close to the areas and being able to walk to things, and my family actually recently, uh, we took our youngest, Everett, um, Everett's 15 months, and he officially went to Disneyland for his first time this spring, okay? Um, which is amazing that we waited this long because uh, my wife's family loves Disney, right? You guys love it, yeah. And so it's kind of amazing that we made it into a year before we made it to Disney, but we made it to Disneyland. And one of my favorite areas in Disneyland is Tomorrowland, all right? And we have a picture of Tomorrowland for you guys who um, maybe have not seen Tomorrowland before, but uh, what I find incredibly interesting about Tomorrowland is it's kind of this giant land of irony, right? Because... The thing about Tomorrowland is that it was built in October 1st, 1971, was kind of the second reinventing and where it currently stands. What you see is what was made in 1971. And at the time in 1971, this was what the future was envisioned to possibly look like, right? But now we look at it in uh, 2019 and we say, wow, that kind of looks like an 80s science project, right? Like, that's not what the future turned out to be. And so as we walk around Tomorrowland, we're like, this is really ironic. Because this is maybe what they envisioned things to be like, but it's not like this at all. And I think Disney just kind of plays to that. Like, they think it's funny, so they just keep it all around, right? But the reality is, is that in our country, we have a lot of Tomorrowland churches. We have a lot of churches in our nation that are similar to Tomorrowlands. Churches that once had clear vision. Churches that once had a desire for tomorrow and a vision for what the tomorrow could hold. Churches that were investing and building up young leaders were growing and were thriving. And somewhere along the way, those churches stopped building up young leaders. And so we see them today and we walk into those churches today and we say, wow, this is kind of this giant icon of irony that we're existing in. And we as the church, and I'm not saying about, I'm not talking about a facility, I'm not talking about a staff, and I'm not talking about a program. I am talking about us, the body of Christ. We can fall into the trap of becoming a Tomorrowland church if we're not aware of the ways that we're building up young leaders today that it is possible for we, Mountain Park, if we miss this over a decade, if we miss this over a year, that we can fall into the trap of becoming a Tomorrowland church. Now, it can be easy to get kind of blindsided, so I want to give you some realities of the churches of today. That the realities are that over 50% of churches in America, well over 50% of churches, a majority, are below 100 attenders on any given week. And that the next majority to that would be between 100 and 200 attenders. And so a vast majority are below 200 attenders. Now, with those churches that are below 100 attenders, that majority of churches, the majority of those are not increasing and have not increased in attendance in any way in the last 10 years. What this means for our church, Big C, in America is that there is a slow death happening for many, many church congregations just around the corners from us, even in Phoenix. And so there's moments where I'm going to be talking about Mountain Park, Little C, and there's going to be moments where I'm talking about Big Church, Big C, and I want you to understand I'm using both of those, but we have a role in both of those churches to build up young leaders of today. Now what we're going to do is we're going to be diving into the book of Acts today, and we're diving into Acts and not First and 2 Timothy because First and 2 Timothy don't hold a lot of content around the relationship of Paul and Timothy, but rather what we see in the narrative of the book of Acts is we see the beginnings, the roots of the relationship between Paul and Timothy. And so that's what we're going to be looking today. Now... I work with students, and um, with the privilege of that, I ask when we're together on Sundays or I'm speaking, that we're in the Word, and not just like, oh, we're reading from the Word. No, we're in it. Like, I got it in front of us. And so, if you have your Bible today, I'm going to ask you to turn there. If you don't have your Bible, it's very likely that you might have a Bible app on your phone. If you got a Bible app on your phone, whip that phone out right now. Now's the time. Okay, and turn to Acts chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible app on your phone, that's okay. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. We will put it on screen, but I like us to be there. And in fact, let's just do one better. If you get there, Acts chapter 16, if you could just do me a favor, if you just pop your Bible up and put it back down for me, that way I know when we're getting there. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're watching this, uh, I got my high schoolers watching this at 11. High schoolers, put your Bibles up, all right? I know you know what to do. Uh, If you're watching this like online at home, uh, your kids might look at you a little weird, but yes, put your Bible up, all right? Might think you're a little strange. Thank you much, thank you much. Okay. Acts chapter 16 we're going to start right at verse 1. Now I want you to be understanding where we're at, see the context. Paul has just started his second missionary journey. He just began his second ministry journey and he's beginning in the town of Lystra. So with that, verse 1 says, he, Paul, came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Now, real quick, understand that it saying all of this would have reminded us that Timothy was kind of a spiritual mutt, okay? His father was Greek, he would have come from Greek mythology, believing in other gods, multiple gods, not Yahweh, not the God that we serve, and definitely not Jesus Christ. His mother was Jew, so she would have believed in Yahweh initially, was likely converted, her name was Eunice, was likely converted in Paul's first missionary journey when he moved through Lystra the first time. All right, and his grandma's name, Timothy's grandmother's name was Louis. She was also converted in Paul's first missionary journey. Now, Timothy, if he was converted in the first missionary journey or shortly thereafter by his mother, we're not completely sure, but we know that as Paul is passing through in his second missionary journey, he meets Timothy, who is now a Christian, but as kind of this spiritual outcast. Like people would have looked at him weird and would have not seen him as very important. Okay, they would have not seen very much value in Timothy because of his messy background. All right, and so check this out though. This is what's cool. Although he's a spiritual mutt, in verse two, the brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. The church Timothy would have been involved in they saw a lot of strengths in Timothy. Despite the world and despite other churches and other towns and other Christians and other Jews, seeing Timothy as probably a spiritual mutt, a little bit of a mess, the church in Lystra, they saw value in Timothy. And so as Paul was passing by, he began to hear the things that the church was saying about Timothy he began to hear the strengths of Timothy and he began to see the strengths of Timothy. Timothy was one of those leaders who just naturally had influence. People just naturally followed him. Do you guys know anyone like that? Who just like, man, like they just, they just gather people and they're kind of a natural leader. And he was a strong speaker. And Paul saw these strengths. And not only did he see them, but he saw ways that they could be used to glorify God. Are we seeing the strengths of young leaders today? Are you seeing the strengths in young leaders today? Now, again, I said I have the privilege of working with students, and sometimes, admittedly, it may be hard to see the strengths of younger generations beyond Snapchat, hashtags, And uh, traveling around the world on a low budget, right? Like, it may be difficult to see the strengths of younger generations. For us who are a little bit older, say, I just, I've tried, but gosh, they're just really good at typing. That's about the only strength that I see, right? Um, But the reality is, if that's the case, then it's very likely we've not spent enough time with that younger generation. Because here's the really crazy thing. This upcoming generation, and when I say that, I'm, I'm saying uh, young millennials, older Gen uh, Z, and so kind of like 14 to 29, that's kind of a wide gap there. But, uh, you know, this younger generation, when you really get to know them, they have the same strengths that church leaders have had throughout the last 2,000 years. They're no different. That they have the same valuable strengths as church leaders have had throughout history and have the same potential to lead the church in the ways that God has called them to. Yet it can be difficult to see those strengths. They have them nonetheless. How do we begin to look for the strengths of young leaders today? And not just like I'm just going to glance over it and maybe think about it, but intentionally seek after strengths of the next generation. Paul continues. Check this out. And this is where it gets a little crazy. Verse 3. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, pause. Whenever we're reading a verse and it talks about circumcision with students, we have to stop, we have to address it because we can't think about anything else (laughs) until we sort out what were they talking about with regards to this circumcision. Okay, I understand. Uh, Paul, um, being a preacher to the Gentiles, oftentimes did not encourage church leaders to be circumcised. But in this instance, he does. Why? What's going on here? I don't understand. This seems counteractive to Paul and the way that he leads. I understand that, yes. Um, Timothy, understanding that Timothy is kind of such a, a spiritual misfit, knew, uh, he knew that Timothy would be leading amongst the churches of the Jews and, and things of that nature. He knew that it would be a large deterrent to not have Timothy circumcised, to just avoid that altogether, he did encourage Timothy to be circumcised in this instance. And so understand that it's circumstantial, and so he does push him to be circumcised. Okay, now that that's addressed and that's to the side, understand the greater thing that's happening here. Paul just invited a 16-year-old young leader of the church to join him on his evangelical missionary journey around a good portion of the known world at the time. Okay, how many of you guys who have 16 year oldish kids, have had 16-year-old-ish kids, would trust your child as a 16-year-old going with an evangel- evangelist who just happened to come through town um, to join them on their journeys? How many of you guys would be like, yep, I'm totally cool with sending my 16-year-old with them, other than getting rid of them, right? I understand that advantage. But yeah, it's a little crazy, right? This is a little nutso. And in fact, this evangelist, oh, by the way, he's not very much liked amongst the towns that he goes to. In fact, Paul was stoned in Lystra on his first missionary journey. It's his only location that he was stoned, all right? Who would, who would trust their 16-year-old to go along with Paul at this point? Okay, a little crazy, Right? This is a little nuts. But what we see here is not only did Paul see the strengths in Timothy, but Paul saw the importance of bringing this young leader, this 16-year-old, along with him in the ministry he was doing. He saw the value in not just seeing the strengths of the next generation, but taking the next generation with him to do ministry together. Now, here's the crazy thing. Paul's not the first person to do this. Who did this right before Paul? Jesus. Jesus, in the beginning of his ministry, calling his disciples, went out on the boats, went out to these fishermen, and said, come, follow me. These disciples, when they were first called, were likely between 16 and 20 years old. And they left everything that they had, their families, their jobs, everything and follow Jesus in the ministry that he was doing. When I was younger in college, I did a few internships, and one of my favorite internships that I did was to go and work in Northern California. And so I was um, living in Indiana at the time, and so over the summer I would drive all the way out to Northern California, up near the Sacramento area. And we would usually spend about four weeks going up into the mountains and doing summer camps for elementary kids, middle school, high school, and we even had like a family camp. And uh, this was up past um, like Grass Valley, for any of you guys who are familiar with Northern California, so it was up in the mountains there. And a beautiful campground, we were having a great time during one of our middle school camps. When all of a sudden during one of our lunch hours, we noticed a full grown black bear walking on campus. And the black bear would go to a trash can that was located right in the middle of the campground, right next to the field, and would try to break into this trash can because the trash can was, was guarded. We had a, a, a wooden frame built around it. You do that in bear country, I guess, and um, had a wooden door so you could still remove the trash bin, but it had a padlock on the wooden door. And this bear would go over to this trash can and wanted this trash so badly that it began with its giant paw and its claws began to tear at the door, the wooden door that held this trash can in and just began to shred this door. I mean, we could see like wooden chunks just like flying from a distance. And so this bear was tearing, tearing, tearing at this trash can. And we as youth leaders and, and church leaders, we huddled together. And although we had great concern for that trash can, We had greater concern for all of our middle school kids who were on the campground at the time, who this bear was a threat to. And so we gathered around and we said, hey, what are we going to do? Like, we've got to do something. What are we going to do? And all the church leaders, they voted, and it was a democracy, I guess, and they decided to send the two young youth intern boys (laughs) to deal with the situation. So they came over to us and said, hey, you know that clause in your job description, the other, uh, other duties as assigned. <laughs> you know, that's, this is the time for that, for that to be used. And so, uh, me and my friend uh, Raleigh, it was our job to chase away this full-grown black bear. And I mean like full-grown, and maybe my imagination has like exaggerated from this point on, but like I'm talking like 400 pounds, you know. Okay, I know black bears don't get that big, but, but it was a big black bear. And of course, in our um, chasing bears off uh, training, in college, we totally knew what to do. And so, uh, we go grab a couple uh, items from the kitchen, things like that. We know that we need to make a lot of noise, we know that we need to get really big, and we know we need to run at them, not too quickly, but just quickly enough, right? Um, to scare this bear away. And so, me and Raleigh, we kind of, we get just far enough apart and we run at this bear so it doesn't go after one direction or another, and if the other, one person gets attacked, then the other person can still survive. You know, that kind of situation. And so. Um, and so we come at this bear and we start chasing this bear, get really big, and the bear runs away. And so we're feeling pretty awesome right now, right? We're like, we just chased the bear away. So we're walking back. We're like, yeah. Do you guys see that up at lunch? Yeah, we just did that thing. And um, and then we turn around and the bear comes back. <laughs> right? We weren't scary enough, I guess. So the bear comes back and it gets back into the same trash bin and starts going after her. again. So we have to do this like two or three times, okay? Like we do this multiple times before. Finally, the bear does not come back. And what I realized, um, you know, in the moment, I didn't have the retrospect, but what I realized now, although as crazy as that story might sound, I, I didn't see much value in ministry at the time of what we were doing, but now I look back and I see that these pastors taking us along with them, that that was so important to building us up as young leaders. Because in that day, not only did I learn how to properly chase away a black bear, I learned that campers' safety and our students' safety is the top priority, and that if that means compromising my safety in some way, that their safety comes first. That's what I learned that day. That's what stood with me. As well as everyone at that campground will forever know me as Bear Man, all right? And so there's some value in that as well. And so you see there, there, there's influence, there's relational influence, and there's ministry mechanics that we learned. And it's so important that Timothy joined Paul in the ministry that he was doing because Timothy wouldn't be the leader to lead Ephesus later to receive First and Second Timothy if he didn't join him as a young leader. He wouldn't have been prepared. He wouldn't have known what to do. He wouldn't have ever been to Ephesus, and he wouldn't have known the people. But because he joined him on his second missionary journey and later his third as a 16-year-old, he was able to lead the church of Ephesus through an incredibly difficult time and sustain the church so that the church is today what it is because of what Timothy did 2,000 years ago. Now, check this out. I want, I want to end the story. We always need to end the story, right? So check this out in verses 4 and 5. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered... The decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. And so the churches were strengthened in faith, and they grew daily in numbers. Timothy experienced church growth. Not just by, like, numbers, but by faith. Timothy knew what church growth and depth looked like because he experienced it firsthand. He knew what his goal was, and I ask myself the question, do our young leaders today, do not only do we bring them with us in the ministry that we're doing, but they do, do they know what success looks like? Do they know what growth looks like? As we wrap up this morning and as we reflect on our call as the church, we're gonna be continuing to dive into the church of tomorrow. And as we do, again, remember, this is a model for what church looks like. And we get to ask ourselves, where are we doing this? Where are we, not just as a location, but as a people, where are we thriving and where do we need to grow? And before all of that, before we get to First and 2 Timothy, I ask you and I beckon you because understand the model of First and 2 Timothy was written into the scenario of Paul building up young leaders today. Are we doing that? Now, I think in some ways we are. Our children's ministry sees themselves so much more than child care. That they are building up, that they are raising young children to come to know and to come to love the Lord. Our student ministry, we have students who serve all around our church and our community regularly. That we're bringing them along via their strengths. That we're doing this. And in fact, to be completely transparent with you guys, I am an example of Mountain Park Building up young leaders today. When I started here, I was 22 years old when I started serving here. And this church, not just the leadership, not just the staff, but you have built me up to continue to lead. And so understand that there are ways that we're doing this, that we're thriving in this. But we as the church, are we all going after this? This summer, I'm gonna tell you about a couple ways that we're gonna be able to engage in this, but before I do that, I wanna ask you individually, do you know a young leader in our church? Like 29 and younger. Okay, we're gonna shoot for that. And parents, you got the easy out here, okay? Duh, you know a young leader today, right? Nah. Easy answer. But, but do you know a young leader in our church today? And if you do, I ask you this summer, I challenge you, build them up, See their strengths. Take them along with you in ministry and help them see the success of ministry. If you don't know a young leader, if you don't as, a, as the church, if you're sitting here and you're saying, I don't really know any young leaders, I challenge you this summer, get to know someone and begin to build them up. Begin to make those relationships. Here's a tool that we're going to give you to do this. This summer I told you that we all are studying First and Second Timothy. And when we do that, there's some really cool opportunities that we get as a church to do some really cool things. And so in our children's ministry next week, they're going to be getting this devotion booklet that challenges them not just to be here on Sundays and, and read along with us and do the teachings that we're doing, but to be in the Word every week. And there's little fun devotions in here and they're really colorful and fun for kids and parents you can do this along with your kids fifth grade and younger. For our 6th through 12th graders, they're going to be getting sheets like this every week. On one side it'll have what we're doing during the Sunday and on the other side it'll have reading challenges for them to do on a daily and a weekly basis. And so we challenge our students to be reading along throughout the books of 1st and 2nd Timothy. And for you adults, you guys get homework too. You guys ready? I love being a teacher and giving homework. It's so much fun. we have a teachers in the room? You guys are amazing. Um, your guys' homework this week is to read 1 Timothy chapter 1. And come prepared next Sunday as we continue to dive into the church of tomorrow. All right? Let me pray for us. If anyone in the room, if you want to receive prayer around what does this look like or there's other challenges that are happening in your life, I want to encourage you after service to come forward. We'll have some people who are here to pray with you. Let me close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning, Lord. Lord, you have called us as your church to do your work that, Lord, the world would know you by how we love one another. And so, Lord, it's the most important work we can do as the church to continue to build up young leaders amongst us daily, weekly, annually. Lord, challenge us as your church to do your work in the best way and in the strongest way that we possibly can. Lord, we love you. We devote everything we are to you. In your name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you and may you guys have an incredible first week of summer.